this morning from Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse 2. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. And that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I've heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine, flaky substance as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is the word of God for the people of God. Did you notice the main theme in this passage? It's complaining. You can hear it right there in the first verse we read, verse 2. It says the whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Now, it might be a slight exaggeration that the whole congregation was complaining at the same time. And yet it's clear that we have a group of people here who are not happy. And they're ready to voice their concern or their complaints against their leaders. And it's easy to look at their situation and say, look at these other people who are complainers. But I rather think this passage speaks to all of us. I think it's a passage about all people. And it can serve as a reminder to each and every one of us that it is a human tendency for people to complain. It's happened throughout the ages. 
We can see it in our own day with the advent of mass communications and social media. Some people are very happy to spend quite a bit of time on their devices sharing with the world their thoughts, which happen to be complaints and attacks and muttering and grumbling. They're very happy to spend their days telling others what's wrong and attacking the character of other people or commenting on what others do. But do you notice how often it's negative? They are complaining, and now they have a platform that allows them to reach out to thousands to share their opinion as negative as it might be. But it's not just today, of course. A week ago Sunday, we were reading in this same book of Exodus. We were in chapter 14, and it says the people were complaining. And if you happen to read chapter 15 this week, it said people are complaining. And then we get to chapter 16 this morning, and what are the people doing? They're complaining some more. It happens throughout this story of God trying to draw people near and build a people of God or a family of God. And in the midst of all of that, they're complaining. Now, of course, we know they're going through lots of changes and it's creating a lot of turmoil and travail. These folks, like many of us, struggle with change, especially when it seems to be coming too fast or it's too foreign in terms of the content of what is going on. There's a growing body of scientific research that explains that our brains are wired to think that familiar is good and therefore unfamiliar is bad. These researchers tell us they can see now on brain scans with brain activity that when people encounter something new, their minds usually unconsciously, so the person doesn't even know it, makes a snap judgment, and most of the time it's negative. When it sees something new or unfamiliar, it tends to resist and to push back. You can see this when people encounter an opportunity to eat new food or they see someone who's dressed differently or they run into people who have different customs or practices right i mean you've heard people say "Ooh, that is gross that's too weird why would anybody dress like that or put that on their body or act like that i would never do that and we make statements about rejection and we devalue others and their ways before, before we take time to really learn or understand what that may be all about. But we not only see it in ourselves, we can see it in advertising. Advertisers, maybe better than any of us here, understand how our brains work. They understand that familiar equals good and is a positive evaluation in most circumstances so that repetition makes something seem more familiar and makes you evaluate it in a more positive light so how many times do you usually see a commercial if there's a new one on do you only see it once or do you see it over and over and over again? And if you happen to have time to watch television for a couple of hours, if it's on one time, it's going to be on more than once, isn't it? 
you're going to see it over and over because advertisers understand that repetition makes it more familiar, which makes you unconsciously evaluate it as more positive and that you want more of it. I mean, how else do you explain the fact that we spend millions of dollars a year on french fries? And every doctor you could ever ask would tell you, don't eat them. They're terrible for you. They're bad for your body. And yet this week I had some. I bet you did too. Over and over, we have heard them advertised and seen the delicious pictures. So now we're loving it. Right? We've got to have some. Advertisers call it the mere exposure effect. Just the mere fact that you see something over and over makes your brain continually evaluate it as better and better. That leads us to a second characteristic that we see here in this story today. It reveals to us that we humans have a tendency to idealize the past, to idealize the past. You can hear it in verse 3 as the story is told. The Israelites said to them, that is to Moses and to Aaron, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. These people have been slaves, forced to labor endlessly under the power of a ruthless Pharaoh, a Pharaoh who killed their children, and now they're thinking back as if that's the good old days. Scientists tell us that often the past, because it's familiar, at least we knew what to expect, gets evaluated as more and more positive over the years, that we look back and often have fond feelings about the past, whether or not it was really that great or not. The new, the challenging, even if it holds great promise, can be threatening, scary, and overwhelming. So often we find comfort in looking back to the past because it's so familiar and it seems like and feels like the good old days. And yet these people are looking back on a time that was a disaster for them, that was terrible. And yet even they are thinking, oh my, if only we could be back there sitting by the fire because at least we got to eat all the bread we wanted. Really? That's their vision of what greatness is about in the midst of God leading them and providing for them over and over and leading them into a new future. But we see a third characteristic here in this story as well, and it is how we easily exaggerate a problem and then assign evil motives. You could hear it in the last part of the third verse after they're remembering that it would be better to die in Egypt than for God to lead them into the future. They say this to Moses and Aaron, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. 
is that what the story says Moses and Aaron have done? No. The story tells us that Moses and Aaron were living peaceful lives, and Moses had married, was working with his father-in-law, had had a child, was living a secure life when he felt the call of God to go back to Egypt. He recruited his brother to go with him, and now they have risked everything. I mean, they have left their homes and their families and their lives to go face down this ruthless Pharaoh who could just as soon kill them as let them go. They have put everything on the line. They have risked their very well-being and all of their hopes and dreams to help these people, to help God release this Israelite band. And now they have turned on them and are not only saying that they don't like them, but they're accusing them of leading them into the wilderness so they could starve them to death. Do you see the extreme exaggeration and evil motives they've assigned to what Moses and Aaron are doing? I mean, it's just the opposite of what Moses and Aaron are actually doing. And yet, apparently, that's how they see what is going on. But despite their complaining and their idealizing of the past and their attacks on these servant leaders of God who have come to their rescue, God does not strike them down. God does not abandon them. God does not banish them from divine help. Rather, God offers them more. God offers them more than what they had before. God says, I've heard your call. I've heard your cry. I've heard your complaining. And now I'm going to respond to meet your need. And in the next few verses we read there, God gives them instructions on how to live. Says that there's going to be provision made for each and every one of them to have their fill of food. And not only that, but for this band of newly freed slaves who had to work endlessly, God's going to provide a day of rest every week. God offers them more, even in the face of their unsightly behavior. Because just like all these other stories that Exodus tells us, the emphasis continues to be that this is a God who hears and responds. That our God is one who cares and hears us and responds to meet our every need. But not only that, this passage also tells us that these freed slaves who are full of complaining and muttering and grumbling have the pri privilege of seeing the glory of the Lord. It's in verse 10. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Now, glory in the Bible often can be translated not only as glory, but as light or as presence. So the people get to experience the presence of God. 
But I think it's interesting to note that the author is so specific, saying that when they saw it, they were looking toward the wilderness, the direction God is leading them. No longer are they looking back to the good old days or looking back to Egypt. When they see the glory of the Lord, they're looking at the wilderness. They are looking toward the future. When they looked to the wilderness or toward their future, that is when these people experience the glory of the Lord or the light or the presence of God amongst them. And verse 12 tells us why God does all of this. It says, so that these people shall know that I am the Lord, your God, or their God. God wants these people and us to know the divine character. The divine will wants us to have a sense of divine purpose in our own lives. So God is doing all of this work with these complaining people so that they might grow deeper in their relationship with God. So they may have deeper and closer intimacy with the Lord, their God. Now, we've been working on this prayer of St. Francis these last several weeks. Oh, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace, it starts. Or I've been suggesting we pray it, Oh, Lord, make me an instrument of yours. Make me an instrument of yours. So this week, so where there is darkness, let me sow light. Where there is darkness, God, work through me so that I might be able to be light in the dark places. I've been telling you about these stories of the life of Francis of Assisi and how he started out as a youngster and took a number of different directions, none of which were positive. And he was far off from God. But then slowly he began to feel this call of God through all this adversity and he began to turn his life over to God. And then last week, right after he had this joyous experience of saying, I entrust everything to God, he went down a road by himself and he was set upon by thieves and robbers and they beat him up and left him lying on the side of the road bleeding. But rather than feeling despair, Francis reports he felt elation that he trusted in God and God did provide and he was still alive. And he got up and went on his way full of joy. There's another story about Francis when he was in Mass or worship one day and they were reading from Scripture and they were reading from Matthew chapter 10 and Jesus is sending the 12 disciples out and it says take no gold, no silver, no copper, don't take an extra bag, don't take an extra shirt or tunic, don't take your staff, don't take your sandals, travel light, go into the world and bid peace to everyone you meet. And Francis says that when he heard that scripture read, it struck him to his heart. And he felt as if God was speaking directly to him. And he was already living fairly simply, but he gave away his staff and he gave away his sandals. And he began to move from town to town, bidding people peace. May the peace of Lord, may the peace of the Lord be with you. He became a different man. 
Francis became a man bearing the light of God to any and all he encountered. As he traveled from place to place, people began to want to join him to be disciples, to follow Christ as he was doing so, and they wanted his blessing and direction. And he counseled them that they would have to be committed to material poverty, to give everything away and trust in God for all their material and physical welfare. But he promised them that even though they would be materially poor, they would be rich in devotion to following Christ. You can see that he's saying, look to the future. You can trust God in the future. And our prayer says the very same thing. It is a prayer that looks to the future, counting on God to make something new of us. Lord, make me an instrument of yours. Or as the prayer says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Oh, Lord. Make me an instrument of yours. Let the people say, Amen.